Our scripture reading today comes from Mark 2, 13 to 17. Please follow along in your Bible or the bulletin. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at, t- at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. All flesh is grass, and all its glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flower fades but the word of our God endures forever. Hi, uh, I'm Cora Moore, and I am a senior at Alma Heights High School, and I'll be attending UT in the fall. Um, In Mark 2, 13 and 14, we see Jesus speaking to a large crowd, and as he walks away, he calls Levi, a tax collector, to follow him. Now keep in mind that tax collectors in this time period were considered to live promiscuous, lawless lives. They were categorized with prostitutes, gamblers, and thieves. Many people saw them as thieves themselves, because most of the time they were taking money for taxes, keeping some for themselves, and giving the rest to the Romans, their oppressors. Now, even though Levi was looked down upon, even though he was probably hated by most people, he saw Jesus, he heard him tell him to follow him, and he went with him. How many times when Jesus tells you to follow him, to listen to him, have you ignored him? When he's been calling you to a different part of town, a different city, state, or even a different country, a different business venture, or really anything Jesus has been clearly saying, follow me about, but you've been scared. You have friends here. You're comfortable in your job. You'd be so far away from your family if you left. The list goes on. I, for one, can say that I have tried to ignore his callings many times, before I had to be hit on the head with a sermon, a Bible study, or a devotional, where he was saying, come on, Cora, what else do I have to say to get you to listen to me, to trust me? I didn't trust Jesus when waiting for college decisions, I just wanted to be in a school, to feel like I had control over my future. I lacked trust. I didn't trust him to provide, I didn't trust his timing, and I wanted to go by my own. This illustration might be difficult for some Aggies in the room, but most of you know I, I initially planned and committed to A&M. I didn't wait to hear back from UT. I wanted to be in control. I didn't want to wait and take the chance of something going wrong. I let my worry get the best of me, and when I found out I got into UT, into the college I never thought I would, I had to do so much work to get into it because I had to switch everything from A&M to UT. I didn't trust God's timing or his plan for me. I didn't wait to hear back from all the schools. I just assumed that I was going to not get in, that somehow if I didn't commit now, I was going to lose all my chances. Anxiety got the best of me. I think that waiting is something that everyone struggles with. We tend to grumble and get antsy and want to know what's going to happen right now. We tend to be like the Israelites in the desert as they grumbled about where they were going to get water and where they were going to get food, even though God had provided many times before. God had led me and my family across the ocean to Indonesia and provided plentifully for us there. Um, He led us back home to San Antonio and provided plentifully for us here. And still, I didn't trust him in the next steps of my future. God uses waiting to stretch us and grow us and change our hearts to be more what he wants us to be. When I changed my mind to UT, even though the process looked different than I expected it to, it all worked out in his timing. Even in the midst of not always being able to wait, God uses it in your life and teaches you. 
In the frequently quoted but no less true verse, Philippians 4, 5 to 6, it says, The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I have shortened this into a mantra for myself. Turn your worries into prayers. This is something I find myself repeating on days that are hard, on days when I am so overwhelmed and stressed that all I can think about is what I can do next, what I need to get done, and where I am going from there. I struggle with trying to control everything and forget that I'm not the one in control. I never have been, and I never will be. God is. Philippians 4.7 goes on to say, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As you give your worries up to God in prayer, you experience the fullness of hope, of the hope of these verses. God offers so much hope to all of us as we go through our days. But we have to be able to release control in order to experience that hope and peace. As most of you know, I babysit a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. I love all the kids I babysit. They bring so much joy into my life. Yes, sometimes they're a challenge, and yes, they ignore me when I'm telling them to do something repeatedly all the time. Um, Sometimes I feel like I might rip my hair out, but I do not love them any less. I still can't wait to see them every time. I still enjoy playing with them, drawing with them, and doing silly voices to make them laugh. And that's shown me just a glimpse of how much God loves us and how his unconditional love for us will never change. How he would never leave us nor forsake us, no matter what we do. And that realization is huge. When you can understand that God loves us more than we can fathom, it changes everything. There's no more doubt about whether or not you're good enough, or whether all these things you're a part of, or all these people you're trying to help are good enough. You just are. He loves you enough to send his son to die on a cross so that you can spend eternity with him in heaven. God's grace is amazing. Even when we have turned away, he is always inviting us back to him. God's love is always there. As I find my identity in the love of my heavenly father, I find comfort in the fact that God's in control. That doesn't mean that I don't still struggle with holding on to control. I still constantly find myself trying to control things that are way bigger than I am. I forget to turn my worries into prayers all the time, but that won't stop me from trying my best to. It may not be easy, but it's so important to do. As you leave this service today, I challenge you to think about what it is that you struggle with giving complete control to God about. What makes it harder for you to trust him? When have you not trusted God, but found that his plan is still full of his provision and his love? Jesus loves you, you can trust him, and he calls you to follow him. Thank you. Well, good morning, church. Joel, I think they're kind of asleep. Maybe we'll give one more try. What do you think? Good morning, church. Much better, much better. My name is Jake Carter. I go to San Antonio Christian Schools, and in the fall, I will be attending Texas A&M University, and I'll be doing the Corps of Cadets. Well, if you've not figured it out yet, life goes by in the blink of an eye. It feels like yesterday, when I was on these steps, and I did the Christmas pageant here. I remember as a little boy that the one, that was the one thing I dreaded about Christmas. So to get my way, I always threw a huge fit, giving my mom all the reasons why it was silly of me to take part in the pageant. Yet despite all my grumbling and complaining, my mom would not take no for an answer. And so I went up on the stage as one of the shepherd's little white sheep. 
Now here I am about to graduate high school and move on into the next chapter of my life. I'm eager to see what the Lord has in store for me. I'm about to step further into a society where there is an unhealthy amount of division and hatred that people have towards one another. Hatred that is fueled by media and selfless politicians who care more about their agenda instead of we the people. They do not care about the individual more. Instead, they are driven by power and money, which we all know is the root of all evil. I think you would agree with me that this country is not headed in a good direction. Now, why has this nation gone astray, you might ask? I believe it's because, as a nation, we have distanced ourselves from God and from the core principles that make this country great. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, unalienable rights endowed by our Creator, which are written to the Declaration by our Founding Fathers. Now, the Founding Fathers believe that God created this nation, so they wrote their religious faith into our founding documents, stamped their trust in God into our coins and currency, and put it squarely at the base of our institutions. These men strive to obey God's commandments, live in freedom, and create a prosperous country. And that they did, and that they did well. Now, sadly, over the past century, the pendulum is shifting away from the importance of faith, family, and freedom, the things that make this country so great. This country is headed in a secularist direction where the government seeks to control every aspect of our lives and where the people people are told to do whatever they feel is right. Vast amounts of people are led astray these days from people like Oprah, who say that there are many ways to heaven, or if you're a good person, you will go to heaven. Now this could not be farther from the truth. The simple truth is that there is only one way to heaven, and, is that, and that is through the Father. We must remember that we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, as it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. As followers of Christ, we are supposed to hold firmly onto the word of life so that we can be lights of the world. I believe we need more resilient men and women from the church to stand up for the truth, answering the call just as Isaiah did in chapter 6, verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who shall go forth? And I said, Here am I, send me. God has a calling on all of our lives, and we will all glorify the kingdom in different ways. But we first need to answer his call. Now, it will not be easier to turn our country back the ways our founding fathers intended. It will take a generation of believers, especially young ones, to stand up. This church has played a significant role in my life, from being baptized right here to going through confirmation. This church community has helped shape me into the man I am today. And I am grateful that this church has played a part in shaping me and my colleagues into leaders, equipped with the tools necessary to be disciples, but most importantly, men and women who have a firm foundation in Christ. I've been able to grow my faith through Sunday school and church, but even more so through the relationships I have formed, relationships with people that I know I can count on and trust. Now, as followers of Christ, we are called to help our brothers and sisters, no matter how broken they may be. Jesus approached all types of people, from children, fishermen, to even the despised tax collectors of the day, 
He did it because they were all children of God, and he loved them all, and he knew that the Father had, Father had a plan for all of them. Now I've been blessed to serve others, and has made my faith grow stronger. I have seen the Lord at work in the par poorest parts of Colombia, to the local ministries here in San Antonio, the CAM, Food Bank, Haven for Hope, This Daily Bread, I could go on. Some of my favorite memories include Urban Plunge, where the youth of this church was able to give back to the local ministries around the San Antonio area. Another great memory was when I went to Medellin, Colombia. I was able to serve the community, especially the kids. Kids with backgrounds and living conditions that you couldn't even begin to imagine. Yet despite their circumstances, they were joyful and content with what they had. Then when I look at our society, there are so many people who have it all. The beautiful lifestyle, the success, fill in the blank, whatever it may be. Yet they are simply not satisfied. It's because they have no genuine joy. And the word of God tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21, Do not lay for yourselves up treasures in heaven, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Countless people go through their lives unfulfilled because they are looking for joy in the things of this world. They keep trying to fill their lives with empty material things which do not have any eternal significance. So it leaves the soul unsatisfied. Only the Lord and His promises, which include eternal life, Fulfill and nourish the soul. Not only has this church prepared me for my life ahead, they've also been there for me and my family. Back in 2018, when my dad got esophageal cancer, support poured in for him and our family. Throughout the long and difficult journey, people like Mitchell, Bob, Alex, Martha Maynard, and many others supported us immensely. My dad used his illness in innate suffering from cancer to witness to countless people. He considered his suffering to be an honor, one which he would use to bring others closer to the Lord. Now my dad made sure to instill into my sister and I the viable life skills such as taking risks, the importance of hard work, honesty, being truthful to your word, and repeatedly stressing to us of always keeping God close until his passing on March 29th, 2020. It is hard, to it's hard at times to understand why God does what he does. My faith has been tested more than any other time in my life. I, not, I would not have been able to get to this season of life without the faith that my dad made sure to instill into me. My dad prepared me to live life in full dependence of my Heavenly Father, so that when he departed this world, he knew I could take on life's challenges because I had a firm foundation in Christ. Men like my uncle, Mitchell and Alex, also helped me through the tough season of life by always being there for me. Whether they be a text, phone call, or even going out to lunch, they were always there to listen and offer their wisdom and guidance. Now I know I have said a lot, but if there's one thing I can leave you with today, it is found in James chapter four, verses 13 and 14. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a town and spend a year there, and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. 
What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Our lives are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Once my dad passed away, it really hit me that I do not know when my last breath on this earth will be, and that the material objects of this earth, they're only temporary. Now, no matter what stage of life you are in, or how old you are, it is never too late to answer the call, just as Isaiah did, saying, here I am, send me. Dr. Laham, one of my dad's doctors at MD Anderson, who who my dad had led to to the Lord, said, I cannot fathom someone going through life without faith. I cannot believe our life is wrapped up in our birth and our death, for it is just too short. I do not believe birth is the beginning and death is the end, but rather death is just the end of the beginning. Death is just the end of the beginning. The truth in those words give me chills. Now, people ask me why I have such a positive outlook on things, despite everything that has happened in my life. But it is because I have come to the realization that tomorrow is not guaranteed to us. So I I began to make more decisions that have an eternal impact. My goal in life is best said by C.T. Studd, who said, My prayer is that when I die, all of hell rejoices that I am out of the fight. Now, when I take my last breath of this crisp Texas air, I want to look back on my life and say that I did the most I could for the kingdom of heaven and that I gave the devil in hell one hell of a fight. Good morning. My name is Sarah Beth Beasley, and I'm a senior at Medina Valley High School, and I'll be attending UT in the fall. I love school. I always have. Since I first walked through my tiny kindergarten classroom doors, I have enjoyed becoming close with my teachers, learning everything I could, and even waking up early. Crazy, I know. However, when I began high school, it was extremely different. Walking those hallways made me skittish. I was more concerned about the shirt that I was wearing or how my face looked than talking to my friends and getting good grades. Sophomore year, I entered a really dark place. Insecurity completely took me over and I lost that spark that made me, me. One of the biggest things that I regret about that time is in my life is that I let my outward appearance get in the way of me loving others. I could not walk up to a girl in the hallway and encourage her by saying that she looked beautiful if I did not feel that myself. Even worse, this led me spiral myself into a hole of self-doubt in my faith. I felt severely underqualified to encourage others in their faith because I felt unsure in my own. How could God use me if I, could, if I was not living in His perfect image? School, the place that I once loved and was thrilled to wake up for, became the place that disconnected me from myself and from God. At the end of my junior year, though, I received something that completely changed my life. This church had mailed me a card reminding me that girls' Bible study for high schoolers is held every single Wednesday night and that they would love to have me. 
It was signed by every single girl that attended that night. Of course, I knew that girls' Bible study was held every Wednesday, and I knew where it took place, but I had never once gone. I wanted to, but as an insecure high schooler who doesn't even live in San Antonio, I felt extremely disconnected and was so worried that I would be judged for starting so late, the end of my junior year. They are all friends already, and it would just be too awkward. Better not to go at all, right? So I didn't. But a few weeks later, I received a text. Miss Meadows asked me if I could come the next Wednesday, and sure enough, I was free. I had no excuse. That night was one of the best that I had had in a long time. Those girls welcomed me with open arms and were not judging me for just now starting to come, but exclaimed with genuine joy that they were excited that I was there. And as we opened our Bibles together, we read a passage that was exactly what I needed to hear. We read from Exodus 6, the story of Moses liberating the Israelites from the Egyptians. While I cannot relate in a way that I was being enslaved, I relate to this story in a different but still extremely personal way. God was liberating an entire population from the hands of a king by using who else but Moses. The same Moses who had committed the sin of murder. The same Moses who felt insecure in his ability to even speak to the Egyptians. The same Moses, God did not pick someone who lived a perfect life and had it all together, because none of us do. God called the sinner. God reassured the insecure. If Moses can stand up to the Egyptians, surely God can prepare me to stand up to 16-year-old girls. If God delivered the Israelites from their enslavement to the Egyptians, God can deliver me from my enslavement to my insecurities. I left that evening feeling extremely fulfilled. Ever since that Wednesday, I have gone almost every single week. I look forward to Wednesdays all week and enjoy my time with those girls and our leaders immensely. Our leaders pour into us so graciously, and my relationships with the other girls have absolutely changed my life. God knew that I needed to get involved with this group. God knew that they would inspire me in my relationship to grow with Him and to be delivered from the insecurities that were preventing me from living out his plan for my life boldly. Despite me blatantly ignoring the first few attempts at getting me to Wednesday night Bible study, God persisted. Life did not get any easier by any stretch. I still had to face those girls who made me insecure. I still had to make hard decisions like where I'm going to attend college. And I still had to be anxious about the everyday. But now I have a strong foundation for these experiences. FPC has provided me with a family who genuinely and intentionally cares about my life. I was sick and God provided me a physician. Well, good morning. I add my greetings to those you have already heard. Um, and not that any of y'all really care too much about this, but uh, that man right there, Jake Carter, uh, he's one of my best friends in this whole world. 
Uh, I do a lot with that kid. Uh, I love him, and he knows that. <clears throat> but before we get into everything, um, I kind of wanted to just give you all a little information about me, because I hate when I see people get up on stage or wherever, and they give a talk, and I don't know anything about them. I don't know what they like to do, and I don't know what they like to do, um, and who they are. Um, and so, to basically sum it all up for me, I grew up at this church. I'm an FPC baby. Uh, my parents were married in this sanctuary. I was baptized in this sanctuary. I grew up in the nursery right downstairs. I've been going to FPC for as long as I can remember. I love to hunt and fish. Uh, I love to be out in God's creation and enjoy His nature. Uh, and if I had to choose my favorite way to feel as close to God as possible, that would be it, is to be out in His nature and experience God that way. Um, I love to play football. Um, I have been greatly blessed to have received an offer to play football at a Division II school in Arkansas called Watchtall Baptist University, and that's where I'll be going next year. So now that you know a little bit about me, let's get right into it. So I will be talking about um, the verse that we've already read today, Mark 2, 13 through 17. Now this book is obviously written by Mark. Um, his real name, what he went by, was John Mark, and why that is is because a lot of people back then had a certain first name, and so whenever you'd say John and 30 heads would turn, that'd be a little awkward, and you wouldn't know who to talk to, so they went by their kind of first and middle name. And we believe that everything that Mark had recorded in his book has been given to him by Peter, because Peter was with Jesus, and he, out of all the gospel writers, Mark gives us a more emotional insight to Jesus and his life. <clears throat> so if y'all turn with me in your Bibles to Mark 2, 13 to 17, I'm just going to read that again, and then we'll uh, get some stuff out of this. So, um, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. As he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. So when you read this, the first two questions that come up as soon as you pass verse 15 is why was Jesus the most perfect person who's ever walked this earth and will ever walk this earth? Why was he hanging out with these people? Aren't these people people who are looked down upon and not viewed highly? I don't know about y'all, but if I have a random person in my house, I'm not going to act relaxed and recline at my table and eat with them. I will try to probably get them out of my house. And so, since that is true for most people, I think what we can draw from this passage is that they weren't random to Jesus. He knew them personally to be able to be relaxed around them and inviting them to eat at his table. 
And Jesus did this as an example for all of us. Because these people were not highly looked upon, he went up to them and brought them in and taught them. I think that um, when we look at this passage, when they were reclining and eating with Jesus, I think that we can all draw from that. That's what we need to do. We are called to do what Jesus has done for us. And when I think of this, uh, this last verse, verse 17, I think of a story that uh, happened to me about two years ago. My best friend, Grayson Russell, who uh, I've known him, he's been my best friend, him and his twin brother since first grade. Played sports together, baseball, basketball, football. My sophomore year of high school, it was our first game that Friday, football game. And it was a Thursday at practice, and Grayson came up to me and said, man, I, I don't feel good. I said, well, just go sit down, and get some water, and get a load off your feet, and maybe you'll feel better. Practice went on, and I watched Grayson walk away toward the locker room. And I thought that was weird, and I kept watching him, and he threw up once, and then twice, and third time, and a fourth time. And that was really weird for Grayson because he never got sick. He's one of those kids who never got sick, I swear. And if he did, if he did feel bad, he wouldn't let y'all know. And so the next day, Friday came around, came to school. Everyone was saying, where's Grayson? Where's Grayson? Game, game time came up. Grayson didn't show up to the game. And he loves football with all of his heart, and that is something that he would not miss. So I woke up after the game on Saturday morning, and my mom told me that Grayson was in ICU. Grayson had bacterial meningitis, and that is a very, very serious disease, and it is very hard to cure. And so the next week came, and he was still in ICU, and I told my mom I wanted to go visit Grayson. People in the hospital were telling Grayson's parents that Grayson wasn't going to make it. When I heard that, I dropped everything I was doing in school, and I went to the hospital. And at this point, Grayson was moved out of the ICU room into a regular room in the hospital, so I was able to go in and see him. And when I went in to see him, after talking to him for quite some time, as much as he could talk. He had a feeding tube through his nose, and he, he was not really competent. He wasn't really there. Um, but I tried to, you know, talk to him as much as I could. And the doctor came in the door. He opened the door and went straight past me, right to Grayson. And I think this is exactly what Jesus did. The doctor went to Grayson because he was sick. Grayson needed that help desperately. Desperately he needed his help. 
And just like these sinners and tax collectors, people who are looked down upon in society, they needed Jesus' help. And that's what he did to them. He went straight to them. And I'm not saying, you know, obviously that Jesus is not here for the healthy and all that kind of stuff. Because he is, we all have sin. But he doesn't hesitate to go to those who are sick and in need of him. So and the second thing that we can, I think, draw from this little passage is something that my senior Bible teacher was talking about this week. He was going over 10 things that every Christian should know before going to college. And at point number seven, he said, don't just have Christian friends. And what is Jesus doing in this passage? Hanging out with non-Christians. We're called to minister to these people who aren't Christian. And it's great to have your group of Christian friends. Obviously, you need those people to fellowship with and grow your faith. But we're also called, just like Jesus did, to not only hang out with Christians. So out of the, those are the two things that I think we can draw from um, this certain passage. Um, and I think that something that First Prez has done uh, tremendously well is that they are utilizing this location that we have been given. Not too many churches have been given a location, downtown San Antonio, with endless opportunity of ministry. We all know that you don't have to go but two blocks from this church to really minister to somebody. And I've been a part of many uh, efforts over the years going through CAM, uh, Haven for Hope, um, you know, packing little uh, personal hygiene stuff for them, uh, feeding them at a certain cafeteria, cleaning up their lawns uh, of, of the certain place, um, or whether it be just ministering them and giving them food right here in this church. And so I think that is the biggest thing that I will take away from FPC is because not a lot of people get the opportunity to do that, to minister to these people and give them a piece of the word of God. So if I had to leave y'all with something today, it would be that even though sometimes we're tired and even though sometimes that certain person might smell a little different than everybody, even though they might look a little different than everybody, even though they might talk a little different than all of us. Jesus ministered to these people and cared for them and knew them, and so are we.